Titus 3, 10 to 11. It says, Warn a divisive person once, and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. And turning over to Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, page 548, if you have one of these. Galatians 6, verses 1 and 2. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. The word of the Lord. All right. Thank you, Andy. Well, it's so good to see all of your faces, all your eyes, and uh, spend a little time together with you this morning. So we're wrapping up our series in accountability and discipline. And I wanted to tell you a little parable, a little story. So there's a man named Sam, and Sam loved going to the hospital. It was like his favorite place in the world. There was just something about the hospital that Sam loved. This is not, this is not like code word for you, Chibenta, so don't worry. Uh, Sam loved going to the hospital. There was just something about it. Like the floors, always clean. The, the, the rooms were cleaned regularly. They're pristine. You could get room service pretty much anytime you want. Just pick up a phone and dial, and you can get sweet food. Uh, and the attention, people cared about his health and well-being. He just loved the hospital, so he, he decided that one day he was going to move to the hospital. So one day he showed up at the emergency room and said, I got this pain in my side, and it just it hurts so badly. So they took him right in, did a whole bunch of tests, and they couldn't find anything wrong with him, but he just said, this, this is so painful. He just kept saying how painful and painful it was. They said, you know what? We'll keep you overnight. And the next day, after he had enjoyed his breakfast, it was delivered to his room and watched several shows on the tiny television on the wall. They came back and they ran some more tests. And he just kept complaining. And finally, that, and strangely enough, the pain kind of shifted to his back. And they were like, well, we don't understand it, but we don't want you to go home. Something might happen. So they kept him another day. And day by day, he figured out the system that you know, he would just say, oh, the pain's over here. And They would treat that, they would look for it, and they didn't find anything, but he he would be so persistent. And in between these appointments, he'd watch a movie or eat some snacks. And he just loved being at the hospital. Days turned to, to weeks, and weeks turned to months, and months turned to years. One day, a U Haul showed up with all of his belongings from his home. They brought in a nice big television, his family photos a nice comfortable couch. He made himself quite at home. And he kept growing older and older, and then one day he passed away at the hospital. Why do we go to the hospital? So that we can spend time in the hospital because we love the hospital? We go to the hospital to get better, (laughs) to get healthy. We go through tests and appointments so that we can kind of return to life as normal. We don't want to stay there forever, because if we do, there must really be something wrong. Well, when I think of the church, 
I think the church is actually very much like a hospital. Sometimes there's this impression that like church is where all the good people go. It's where all the healthy people are. But I would argue church is more like a hospital. Church is where all the people go who, who know they're sick and they need some help. They need some healing. So we want a church to be a place that welcomes sick people, helps heal them, and then sends them out to look for others. And yes, we want the church to be a welcoming place. Yes, we want you to come regularly for your, your weekly checkup where we worship the Lord together, to create something beautiful as a community. But we don't want to just constantly live in this place. We want to go back out into the world. And when we come to the hospital, we, we really want to know, like, okay, let's deal with our actual sickness. At our, at our core, this series, Church Accountability and Discipline, is about healing sick people. If you're sick with sin, we're here to help you get well. And that's what it means to be brothers and sisters in Christ on a, like a pilgrim journey together, walking through life together. Like we fall down and we pick each other up. We get sick and we keep going. We don't want to just come so that we can kind of enjoy the services, the amenities of what it means to be a part of a church. We want to come to church so that we can deal with our sin. So that we can truly know and experience life. We don't want to be like Sam, perpetually at the hospital, not really wanting to get better. Nothing really wrong with him in the first place. Now, if you're not a believer, maybe you're wondering, like, why should I even listen to this sermon? This is clearly for church people. And there's a, there's a point to that. But I think there are three reasons why to listen if you don't believe in Jesus. If you've ever had a conflict in your life or experienced brokenness, broken relationships, you need to know when it makes sense to put that relationship back together again. How exactly we can do that, and today's sermon could help with that a little bit. Number two, we all need a restored relationship with God. We all have a broken relationship with God, and we all need a restored relationship with God. doesn't matter if you're religious or irreligious. So I'm going to talk about that as part of today's message. Number three, if you're interested in being a Christian, you need to know what it means to be a Christian. See, we don't believe in kind of individualistics. I'm just a believer on my own. No, we're part of a church community. We're part of a church family. And as a family, we're supposed to kind of work together in a special way. And that's what the series has been all about. And so I want to talk about kind of the goal of accountability. So the goal of accountability and even this thing called church discipline is restoration. It's making the sick healthy again. You go to the doctors to get well. You make an appointment because you have something that needs to be addressed. And so we see this in our foundation verse, Galatians 6, 1 through 2, which Andy just read. It says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, if anyone is sick spiritually, Continuing in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Restore him. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill, so fulfill the law of Christ. So we see people coming together to encourage one another, to, to help one another, to take care of one another. 
This Greek word for restore has a lot of depth to it. Like restore, maybe you think of like an old car that needs to be polished up. They restore the car or maybe some antique furniture that's grown like uh, uh, scratched and and, and needs to be polished up and, and renewed. And those are all like good meanings of the word restore. But the one I want to focus on, kind of the the aspect of this word uh, from the Greek, it means to knit together, to knit together. Because there's these stories in the Bible where like the disciples are knitting together their their ropes, their fishing lines after that, like they were out fishing. And when they're out fishing, what happens? Well, fish come in, they catch them in the net, and they begin to pull and stretch the net. And then the, the line, the ropes, they become frayed and undone. And so this net as a whole becomes less and less effective as the, the ropes and the lines within the net are frayed. And so to knit something back together is to take that line and to fix it, to wind it back up, and to, to weave it throughout the rest of the net. So when we think about restoration as a church body, we're taking a person and we are knitting them back into the church community. We are knitting them back into the church family. We are making sure that they are woven among the congregation, that they really are a part of the whole, giving to the whole, adding to the whole's strength. I think that's a really beautiful picture. And so the end goal is to always knit someone back into the church family if they've fallen into sin. And it doesn't matter whether like, this is the first conversation you're having with them, like they've done something and you say, hey, do you know about this? And they repent and are restored, or if it's all the way at the end of the church discipline process, and the whole church body has said, hey, do you know that you've been in sin? The goal is to knit them back together, to knit them into the church family. And we do this through kind of a process. This process begins with repentance. See, repentance leads to restoration. Now, repentance, I think there's kind of a three-step process, but I don't want to give away step two until uh, just a little bit from now. The process of restoration, of coming back together, of knitting into that church family, of getting healthy and well, starts with repentance. Repentance is not like a super hard word to understand. It means rejecting sin, like turning away from sin, and then turning to God. And we see this in Acts chapter 3, verse 19 through 20. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So the idea is that we're walking down one path, a path that's away from God, and then we turn around and we go towards God. <laughs> we walk a path in relationship with God, knowing him and worshiping him uh, instead. Now, I've never known anyone that could cure themselves by just saying, I'm not sick anymore, <laughs> right? I'm not sick anymore. I'm, and, we, and we don't do the, kind of the same thing with sin when we say, you know what? I've had it with sin. I'm not going to sin anymore. <laughs> it's not how it works. We live in a broken and fallen world, and so we trip, we stumble, we sin. But God forgives us. And see, we need a cure. We need a, a great physician. We need a healer, and that's what Jesus does. He comes and he, he, he renews us, he restores us, 
He heals us, and then we begin to kind of align our lives with that. By his grace, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we begin to change. That means God's coming along and kind of changing our motivations and changing our hearts. And this is a lifelong process. Coming to Christ starts with an act of repentance, right? Coming to Jesus saying, I'm, I'm sinful, I'm broken, I need a Savior, please heal me, please forgive me. But then that process of repentance continues throughout your life. Now this week I was up at the doctor uh, at Gordon-Conwell, this last week and the week before. I was up at Gordon-Conwell doing the doctorate of ministry program, finishing up my final weeks of classes, and now it's on to my thesis project. Uh, but there's this library at Gordon-Conwell that you can't check any books out of, so right, a great library. <laughs> it's kind of a special library because it, it, uh, it belonged to a guy named Harold John Ockengay, very famous sort of among theologians and pastors. Um, and he had this library, and he had all these like really old kind of special books. And one of the books, uh, some of the collection that he has centers around uh, Pilgrim's Progress and like writings from John Bunyan. And uh, that's pretty cool. Uh, uh, maybe some of you have read Pilgrim's Progress, and I didn't actually realize it, but until like last couple weeks, like I thought that I had read Pilgrim's Progress, but I had actually not. I had just listened to like the family audio version on cassette tape growing up, because I tried to read some of the the actual Pilgrim's Progress from 1678, and it does not make a good children's audio uh, production <laughs> at all. Uh, but we used to listen to it growing up, and uh, what's cool about this story, whether you read the original or you listen to like a dramatized version, is that about, it's about the Christian. It's about a Christian in their everyday normal life kind of navigating the pitfalls of life, of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And you, you watch this pilgrim, his name, his name is Christian, like he starts with this burden on his back, this heavy, heavy weight, which is his sin. And he becomes convicted of that sin and that he can't get rid of it. And he hears that there's this place called the Celestial City where he can be made whole and be renewed again, and he heads off in that direction. But on this journey, he, gets, he, gets, uh, he, gets, he stumbles and he falls, he gets stuck in like this bog of doubt, and, and people come along and uh, and kind of lure him off the trail with desire, or he walks through this valley of the shadow of death, or there's this, this giant that he gets captured by of uh, fear and doubt. And it's like this really kind of cool adventure. And always through it, like God, he stumbles off the path, and you think maybe this is the end. But then God brings him back onto the path, and he keeps heading towards the celestial city as he navigates those temptations. Sometimes it's uh, just an amazing work of God, and other times it's a Christian that God brings into his life to kind of bring him back onto the path. And so there's like these little acts of repentance all along the journey as he just kind of steps back onto the path. Now his journey begins with an act of surrender, because he could never make that journey with that weight of sin on his shoulders. And so at the beginning of his journey, he comes to the cross. There's this sepulcher, uh, I don't even know if I'm saying that right, this sepulcher at the bottom, like a, a kind of a tomb, and he's, he's looking at the cross like it comes off of his back and this great weight rolls down into the tomb of Christ. And then he can make this journey. Now, I don't know where you are on your journey, and maybe you're weighed down by sin and you're, you're heavy with guilt, but the, the, the process of 
restoration into relationship with God begins with coming to the cross and letting your sin roll off your back as you look at Jesus and receive the forgiveness and grace that he offers. And if you haven't done that, like there's, there's so much release in letting go of your sin. Not, not in ignoring it and saying, oh, well, that's just not a thing. Your soul knows that's not the case. But really giving it to Christ and Christ taking it and paying the penalty for it and forgiving you of it. So core to being a Christian is repentance. And it starts with repentance, a continual act. But if we want to reach accountability, we, uh, restoration, we've got to remember that when we do sin, that affects our relationship with God, but it also affects our relationship with those around us. And so the, you know, the second uh, aspect of restoration goes repentance, confession, and then restoration. So repentance leads to confession. Obviously, first confession before God. God, I sinned against you. Please forgive me. But then it's important to confess your sins to those that you have hurt. If you're part of a church body and your church family comes to you and says, hey, you know, you're sinning this way and you're, you're hurting us, then they deserve an apology. Yeah. When I was growing up, it was part of the, the process. Like when you, when you hurt someone, you say, hey, I'm sorry, or I apologize for what I've done. It's important that we don't see ourselves as being kind of a part of a social club. Like the church is not a place where we just go and it's not like Costco's or BJ's where we, we get great discounts on like our, our heavenly products. It's not like the, the Boy Scouts or the Girl Scouts or, or even being a part of like a nation. It's, it's far greater than all those things. The church is the body of Christ. It's a special set-apart people who do things differently than the rest of the world. So sometimes we do need to confess to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Sometimes maybe just a relationship or two, if those are the people that you've affected, that I've affected. Or sometimes even the whole church body, if the sin has grown that, that, that kind of pervasive. But when, when someone does come to us and say, I confess my sins, or you go to them, the response is not like, I told you so, <laughs> but hey, amen, let's rejoice. Let's have a, you know, we always get cake for like baptisms. Like we should really get cake for repentance and for confession because that's, that's so significant. We rejoice and we celebrate and say, this person has been restored. This lost sheep has come home. So we want to see health. We want to see wellness. We want to see restoration. And I don't want to end my sermon there because there are a couple things that can happen when you go to the doctor's office, right? When you go to the doctor's office, they can tell you, hey, you look good, or here, take this antibiotic, and then in a couple of weeks, you'll feel better. But sometimes, there's <laughs> like a pause, and you're like, oh, I don't want to know what they're about to say. Sometimes there's complications, and dealing with that complication takes time, or it takes kind of a special process. And the same is true of a church accountability and discipline. One time I was cleaning fish tanks. I used to be a, a fish tank cleaner back in seminary. I would do that once a week. And there was this tank at a hospital, a big, long, like the back wall was black, and it was big and long, and it was glass, and it was very scratched up. I don't know, people would just like scratch on it when they were there in the waiting room. But I was cleaning the fish tank, and I heard code blue like over the speakers, and then everyone went running. It was like the doctors, the nurses, Everyone went running down to the atrium, and, 
and what I've learned is that code blue means like someone's life is in danger. Either there's cardiac arrest or a severe drop in blood pressure. Sometimes there are code blues at churches. There are emergencies. Now, it would be great if we could say, oh, there's never going to be a code blue at Cornerstone. But we sin. <laughs> there's, there's sickness in our world. So sometimes there may be a code blue. So I want to talk about those so that we're prepared for what that means and what they look like. And the first one, the first kind of complication is the complication of divisiveness and false teaching. That really deals with what Andy read this morning from Titus. Paul really warns about the sin of divisiveness. He says, warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. It's like, wow, that's kind of harsh, Paul. (laughs) But there are the kind of people that just stir up trouble. And sometimes we just want to think to ourselves, you know what? I can deal with it. Because, well, I have the gifting or the talent. Like, I know that they've stirred up issues and trouble with other people, but, you know, I can handle it. Well, Paul says to be very, very careful about that. Now, what is this division? Well, it actually is this Greek word heretikos, which is like heretic. And it can be a division of beliefs, like I'm teaching you things that don't line up with Christianity, or I'm fostering distrust and disunity in the church body. Maybe you're spreading a rumor about another family or causing hurt or mistrust. Have you ever heard that phrase, I'm glad they caught it in time? I'm glad they caught it in time. Well, you say that about like fast-spreading sickness, whether it's a cancer, it's malignant, or some other form of sickness that needs to be dealt with immediately. Divisiveness is a cancer that needs to be addressed. We see signs of it through uh, through conflicts and gossip and other things in the church body, but divisiveness is really this, this kind of tearing apart of the fabric of the church community. Now, we want to restore, we want to knit back together. We want to weave people back together, but first there needs to be repentance. And so we're working towards repentance, but we're also aware that some people are not going to head that direction. And so if there is a divisive person, we have to be especially careful. We want to catch it in time before it hurts the whole church. Complication number one is divisiveness or false teaching. Number two is egregious sin. That means outstanding, not in a good way, bad, shocking. This is unusual or blatant sin. It's often illegal or unethical. Now, if there's something that happens here that is illegal... Obviously, we want to deal with that with the proper authorities, calling them in. We have other policies for that as well. Um, but this type of sin, egregious sin, is not typically a one-time thing. There's a pattern. Right? And we, when we, accountability is always about dealing with unrepentant hearts. To get to the level of this type of sin, you have to have an unrepentant heart for a long time. And we see this, actually, Paul talks about this in the church at Corinth. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 2. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife. 
and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from you. There's a pretty bad situation in this church, and the church is just saying, hey, this is great. <laughs> They're condoning it. And Paul is saying, no. The next couple of verses, he actually says, like, bring this person under Satan's authority. Hand him over to the devil. And the goal, actually, is still restoration. We want to see this individual repent and come to Christ. But there are some sins that are so blatant that we have to say, you know what, this is immediate church discipline. We're going to bring this to the church body and you vote on it then. You have that hard conversation. You do it right away because to not do that actually makes a statement to the world about the seriousness of our sin and whether we actually believe that some sins are serious or not. As Christians, we always want to be gracious and kind, but there's also moments where we have to follow the, the example of Paul here. No one likes to go into emergency surgery. It's an emergency. You head right in. You don't want it. But ultimately, it's for healing. It's for the best. And the third complication is elder sin. See, when your leaders fall into a pattern of sin, they need a special type of correction. Paul talks about this in 1 Timothy 5, 19 through 21. It looks like I did not update that Bible verse. I'll hear it to you right here. 1 Timothy 5, 19 through 21. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that they may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. So that means like elders need to hold themselves to a higher standard. And if they're in a pattern of unrepentant sin, right? This is not saying that your elders are going to be perfect. I am not perfect. Mark and John aren't perfect. But if we continue in a pattern of unrepentant sin, we need to be rebuked. It needs to be a public kind of thing, because if you can't lead yourself spiritually, you can't lead others spiritually. Like, would you ever, if you go to a doctor's office and you walk in and, like, the, the doctor there, like, he clearly has a fever, <laughs> like, he's sweating and uh, his uh, runny nose, like, his eye is clearly, like, pink eye. <laughs> like, you're not going to be like, this is the doctor for me. You're going to say, have you seen a doctor? Doctor? <laughs> you should get checked out. Because they have a sort of a special ability being in a position of authority to spread, spread the cancer. And so we have to be especially careful. Now, it does say, don't bring a charge against an elder except by the evidence of two or three witnesses. In other words, it's a very serious thing. When we talk about our elders... It needs to be a very kind of respectful, but if there is a problem, serious approach. But the cool thing is that even this is done for the purpose of restoration. All of these things are done for the purpose of restoration, that we want to make, make the sick healthy. There was one church I was reading about, this was actually in my doctorate of ministry studies too, and there was a leader in their congregation who failed morally. You can probably guess the kind of things that this person did. But this person went through discipline, received counseling, and sought reconciliation, 
and then was accepted back into the community with a special church service. And another leader commented that there's no other organization in the world that acts like this. Like, can you think of a business that head CEO had a, had a moral failure and um, where they actually took that time to put that person out of the organization that then rehired them later? God gives second chances to sinners. And it's amazing when the church actually does what it's supposed to do and restores people. So there's a lot of complications. There's divisiveness, false teaching, egregious sin, and elder sin. But in closing, as we kind of end this series, end this sermon, I want us to remember that like, our church is meant to be a hospital. It's meant to be a place of healing and hope. And we have an opportunity as the doctors and nurses and the healthcare workers of Cornerstone Congregational Church to create a place of healing. That when people do come in who are sick or who are unhealthy, we don't immediately cast them out, but we work with them. We get them the, the, the help they need, and that takes patience and time. And we do it because we love Jesus, and he did that for us. He's incredibly patient to you and to me. In Boston, we have some of the greatest uh, uh, health care centers in the world. Mass General, according to Newsweek, is number three in the world. Brigham and Women's is number 17. The greatest hospitals on the planet are in Boston. Not all of them, but several of them. They do great medical research and care. Would it, would it be the kind of series that you want it to be in our, in our church, in our lives? Would it help us navigate just accountability and, and discipline. It's not an easy topic, Lord, but we want to do it in a way that honors you. Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, would they come to know you? Because all of this just starts with a relationship with you. We want to be that pilgrim walking that journey to the celestial city. And it starts at the cross of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.